Well, good morning, Third Street. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at Third Street Community Church. And this morning, it is my distinct honor and privilege to be bringing forth the word of God to you all. If you've been with us, you can, you can close your eyes and you can imagine what the bumper video would be sounding like right now. Isn't she lovely? Is it? Whoa, 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 whoa. Relax. Y'all calm down. What the heck? Y'all better freaking relax. I ain't even got to the good part yet. We ain't even opened the scriptures yet. You better bring that same energy. See, y'all just messed up. You ruined yourself. You bring that energy. Somebody can hit one or two smooth little notes that they hit in the shower sometimes, but you don't want to get excited for the word of God. You better bring that same energy this morning. Y'all messed up. Better get out your seats a little bit later. Listen, we've been going. Y'all messed up, man. We've been going through this series that we have titled Psalms in the Key of Life, which of course is uh, partially the title inspired by one of the greatest albums of all time by the great Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. This was, this was Stevie's album where, where he was creatively liberated, where he was free to, to write down, record, and release music as he wanted it to be released. The stories about his life that he wanted to be told the way that he wanted to tell them. And I believe that as we look at the book of Psalms, we keep that same energy and we take a similar approach to the, its spot in scripture. These are uh, the songs of the people of God. These are the songs of the people of Israel, but not confound by, uh, by a time or by a place, but told and inspired by the spirit of God, the way that God would want them to be told. As we've been going through the Psalms, we discovered how a lot of them are raw. A lot of them are real. And it's, it evokes some serious, uh, some serious emotion, just like music does. And it feels appropriate this morning to be concluding this series on Pentecost Sunday with a psalm from chapter 104. If you don't have your physical Bibles with you, I encourage you to just listen to the sound of my voice as I give a faithful telling. This is Psalm 104, and I'm going to read for the sake of our focus this morning. I'm reading just one verse. It's the book of Psalms. Chapter 104, verse 30, says this, when you, talking to God, when you send your breath, they are created, and you renew the surface of the ground. One more time for the folks that are still scrolling. This is Psalm 104, 30. When you send your breath, they are created, and you renew the surface of the ground. I heard a story recently about a woman named Kathy Boone. Don't worry, I Googled it to make sure it was true, because you know how preachers get sometimes. Exaggerate the details once in a while. Not me, though. But the story that I heard about Kathy Boone, who tragically passed away in a homeless shelter in Oregon in January of 2020. Kathy died after years of homelessness, battling drug addictions and mental illness. Now, unfortunately, in our modern society, and specifically and most especially in our city, 
her death in this story would be relatively unremarkable and probably wouldn't even go noticed by the overwhelming majority of our world. Except for the fact in Kathy's case that for the past four years, her family, her father and her siblings had been relentlessly searching for her. They scoured and searched social media to see if she had some type of online thumbprint. They, they went to places that they know that she used to work. They went to acquaintances that they know that, they used, that she used to have. They searched for her for four years without any luck until they heard that she had passed. What sparked them in 2016 looking for her in the first place was they had a bit of news to deliver to Kathy. They wanted to give her the news that her mother had passed away. But they didn't just want to tell her that her mother had passed away. They wanted to tell her that in her mother's death, she divided up her remaining wealth and gave it to all of her children, Kathy included. See, Kathy, who was void of hope, void of resources, struggling with a drug addiction, mental illness, and was homeless, actually had the sum of $884,000 waiting for her. That is a life-altering resource that she never knew she had access to. Imagine that. Imagine having access to a life-altering resource and never choosing to tap in. Imagine Somebody who loved you so deeply, even in your lost state, that they would see fit to leave behind in their absence a resource so substantial that it would change your life, that perhaps you would be able to overcome the addictions that you've had for so long. That you would be surrounded by people who love you with, 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 with a resource that would allow you to overcome barriers that have kept you bound for far too long. And yet, we don't tap in. I have to believe to some extent, as we acknowledge Pentecost Sunday this morning, a story that is brought to us in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to try my best to give a faithful telling. You can read it out of the scriptures later. But as we acknowledge this story, I have to believe that where the story picks up in Acts 2, that's where the disciples have themselves feeling at least a little bit. I have to imagine that they feel void of hope, void of hope because their, their teacher that they had just followed for the last three years of their lives, their teacher that they had watched bring miracles on earth and promise the kingdom of God's arrival in their very presence, their teacher that they saw drugged through the streets, accused of a crime that he wasn't nowhere near committing and that was beaten publicly. Mocked by the crowds, stripped, hung on a cross, buried. Ah, but then, but then three days later, this, this stone that was meant to be marked the permanence of this resting place was rolled away. And Jesus was yet alive. 
And so for the next 40 days at various points, Jesus would appear to his disciples to show them that he really is who he said he was all along, that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the Savior, that the kingdom of God really is accessible to them and it's for them. And here they are ready to be taken to said kingdom only to find out in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus is like, well, actually, I'm going to go. And y'all are going to work some stuff out here. Void of hope. I have to believe that at least a little bit, the disciples were void, feeling as if they were void of resources. See, I don't know if y'all had heard this about my man Jesus, but Jesus uh, stirred up a few things while he was here. Man, Jesus might have caused a, a little bit of trouble. My guy, Jesus taught messages that flew in the face of age old religiosity. And he did it in the very structures and systems of said religiosity. I mean, that disrespectful. Jesus had the audacity on the Sabbath day which culturally is supposed to be a day where we do nothing as opposed to the other six. And he had the audacity to heal a man with a withered hand. Oh, the audacity. Jesus was driven out of his hometown. Jesus was, they attempted to throw him off of a cliff. Jesus had the crowd so riled up that the high priest, the Roman government, and pop culture All were after him to cancel him. I mean, kill him. Jesus caused a few things, and now, Jesus, this is such good news. You are yet alive, which turns out that means that you really are who you say that you are. This is such good news. Except for the fact that now it feels like you're leaving me here on this earth to deal with all the stuff that you stirred up, and you ain't going to be physically around to take care of it. That feels void of the resources that I need to deal with all the stuff I'm about to deal with. Because I don't know if you heard what happened to Peter, Jesus, but we're going to get recognized in these streets. And if that's what they did to you, they knew you for a day and a half. Imagine what they'll do to me. I have to believe that they were feeling a bit void of hope and resources. And yet Jesus in chapter one of Acts and verse eight promises them a life altering resource that will empower them and equip them to not only deal with all the world has to throw at them, but will also allow them to work some things out. This morning, I have just enough time to tell you three of the things that I believe the Holy Spirit was left to work out in our lives. The first of which is this. I believe that the Holy Spirit was left to us to work out our own personal transformation. Psalm 104 says that God's breath created everything. Psalm 104 tells us that that God's breath is what renews the face of the earth. Genesis chapter 1, our creation account, tells a similar story but says it a bit differently. It says that before the earth existed, the earth was 
void of form and shape, but yet the Spirit of God hovered. The Spirit of God hovered over what would become the earth ready to move, ready to make something new, ready to create something out of nothing. Now, here's what's so beautiful that the dangers of casual reading don't allow us to catch up on. Some of you might already know this. It's that that word in Genesis 1 for spirit, meaning God's spirit, and that word in Psalm 104 for breath, meaning God's breath, is actually the same Hebrew word. Ruach. Which means it's equally appropriate for us to say in Genesis 1 that God's breath created everything as it is for us to say in Psalm 104 that when God's spirit is pulled out, there is renewal. Equally appropriate. And then we move to what we acknowledge today, which is the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where God's spirit was quite literally poured out and the believers are made new. Now, I know just a few of you well enough to know that, that there's more than one of you thinking to yourself, well, pastor, how were they made new? They was the same old guys. The gospel refers to Peter as Peter. Acts refers to Peter as Peter. And then if you keep on flipping pages, there's some letters from Peter and they're called Peter. So what are we talking about? They were made new. Well, my brother and sister in Christ, I would encourage you to stop thinking like Nicodemus. You know the conversation. How can a man or woman be born again? Surely we're not able to, re, uh, uh, to return to our mother's womb. So how can somebody be born again? See, God says there is a birth in the spirit that happens. There is a new birth that happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. Look at my God, Peter, that I already used it as, as an example. In Acts chapter 2, after we see people speaking in tongues, don't worry, I'm coming for it. After we see that, Peter can't help it. He can't help it. He stands up and he begins proclaiming the name of Jesus and not only proclaiming the name of Jesus as in I know him, but proclaiming in the name of Jesus as he wants to know you, too, and he can save you. And it says that Peter's words through the Holy Spirit pierced the hearts of the unbelievers. Now, why is that so remarkable? Simply because a few folks got saved? No, sir. It's remarkable because if you turn the pages just a few chapters, books earlier, the last time we hear from Peter is people recognizing him in the streets as a disciple and him being like, no, nah, I don't know him. Don't know him. Three times people come up to him. Aren't you that guy that was rocking with Jesus? No. No, you must have me confused with somebody else. I know my beard be glistening, but that was somebody else's beard. Second time, aren't you that? No, I'm sure of it. You're that guy. He's like, listen, I don't even know a dude named Jesus. Third time, somebody comes up to him. No, 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 no. I know it's you. And he's like, no, it's not me. Be away from me. And he runs away. And yet, at Pentecost, the next time we see Peter, after he's denying Jesus in the Gospels, He's receiving the Holy Spirit and suddenly preaching the very name that he denied just a little bit earlier. What is that other than a transformation? He had a heart change. We call that in movies and TV, we call that a round character. It's the one that before you was like, this character really be tripping. But then a few episodes later, you're like, but you know what? They're kind of growing on me, though. That's Peter. 
He has a heart change. He has a whole transformation. He is no longer the same guy that would deny Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's a guy who can't help but cry out the name of Jesus. That's heart change. That's character change. And along with heart change and character change, most naturally comes output change. It's crazy, man. It's crazy how fast the world changes. It's crazy how fast people evolve, relationships evolve, culture evolves. It's crazy how fast it happens. And it leaves us a lot of times just feeling like we need to catch up, that we need to keep our branding up, that we need to keep our character up, that we need to keep up with, with the changes of, of, of society. Once upon a time, it was cool to wear this hat. Now it's cool to wear that hat. And I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to keep up, right? All the while we're trying to keep up, our hearts aren't right. We're so focused on changing and evolving our appearance, changing or evolving our social media, changing or evolving the, the output that we put out there to make it look like we got it all together, but we forget entirely about changing our heart. We, 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 we can change the outfits that we wear. We can even change the people that we ha can hang out with. Can I tell you something else? We can change the location in which we live. But as I love to, people, to tell people, the problem with you is that you go with you as, as everywhere that you go. That's what happens when the problem is you. We forget to change our hearts. But can I tell you something that since the beginning of time, since Genesis chapter 3 has never changed? One thing that has stayed the same is God's desire to renew your heart. God's desire to come to you in your brokenness, to come to you in your fallenness, and to say, I got you. Come with me. It's going to be all right. That has never changed. When we allow, though, the Holy Spirit to work in our life, that's when we can experience the character change. What are the barriers in your life that have disallowed you from letting God have access and changing your heart towards those things? Listen, we can be sorry all we want. We can change friend groups because we're too embarrassed to go back to the other ones all we want. We can hop churches all we want. But the fact of the matter is, if you're not allowing God access to every part of your life, we are not allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. And the problems will stay the same. Now, there's something else that happens when we allow God access and allow the Holy Spirit to do its thing. And it's really dope. And this is my second point. It's that, it's that some people call it witnesses. Some people call it manifestations. I say that when we receive the Holy Spirit, point number two, we become evidence. We become evidence that God ain't done. That God can still renew. That God still wants to renew. I'm getting ahead of myself. When we look at Genesis, you look at the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden and its harmonious state was evidence that God's spirit moved. When we see chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis and everything, all of creation existing in perfect harmony, that is evidence that God's spirit hovered. Psalm 104 says the evidence of God's breath is that the ground, the surface was renewed. 
They said, the psalmist said that God's breath is so heavy that the world don't look the same. At Pentecost, church, there was evidence that the spirit of God was moving. You're not going to like me for the next five minutes. I'm just warning you. But try to push through to a point of maturity where you're able to hang with me, even if you don't fully agree with me. The evidence, the first evidence that we see of the arrival of the Holy Spirit, whether we like it traditionally or not, is the speaking of tongues. Now, let me be clear about what that was. There was a supernatural ability as people from all nations gathered to understand every single tongue that was being spoken. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about this prayer language. That's something different. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. What it was, was the ability that no matter where you were from, no matter what your background was, no matter what language or dialect you speak, because a lot of us in here speak English as our first language. But I promise you, it's some different dialects up in this gym. But what happened was. No matter what it was, no matter where you came from, you had an ability to suddenly understand the people sitting next to you. And what is the first thing the Spirit decides to proclaim as soon as everybody's on the same page with language? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the evidence that God's renewing is not done. That's the evidence that God wants to make something new no matter where you come from. Then from there, the believers go on to be evidence everywhere that they set foot. Yeah, people wanted to kill him, so they ran away. But God used their running away to take the gospel and to take the movement of the Holy Spirit to parts of the earth that otherwise the Jews would have never gone. The good news was that the spirit was no longer just for a specific heritage. Get out of here with that barbershop talk. The, the good news is that the spirit of God was no longer confined to the city of Jerusalem. Get out of here with that ethnocentric talk. The good news was that the spirit of God was ready, willing, and able to renew people from all walks of life in all places at all times. And the believers went forth and the evidence of God's presence, I mean God's spirit still being with them, is that they too, just as they saw Jesus do, were able to heal the sick. They too were able to, to preach as passionately as Jesus did. They too were able to speak languages that they, were no long, that they weren't able to access before. That was evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wasn't here last week. Ooh, it got quiet in here. Y'all must know where I'm going. I wasn't here last week. But you better believe I get all the reports. I know what all y'all was doing last week. No, I'm playing. Listen. And I know that during worship, one of our beloved family members began shouting in a tongue, in a dialect, in a language that is not easily understood. As a matter of fact, to most of us, we might say it was mm, babbling. 
And it was loud enough that I know, I know enough of you to know that more than a few of you were uncomfortable. Now, those of you who know me well, you know that I also am a man of order. I believe that if we are in this space, as we gather together beyond the isolation of our own prayer, if we're going to speak tongues in this place, is going to be in order of worship, which means I believe that in this space, if we're going to speak tongues, I ain't talking about by yourself. What you and God do is between you and God. That ain't none of my business, and I ain't here to judge you for it. But what we do in this space out loud, I believe that there should be an interpretation of tongues present. I can break that down for you another time. I believe that, that there should be an interpretation. There should be somebody with the spiritual ability to interpret and hear what is being said and then relay the message to the congregation. Can I tell you guys your uncomfortable selves a secret? There was an interpretation present last week. I got a phone call about, what, about possibly our brother maybe scaring off a few folks. I know it's a holiday weekend, so that's why most of y'all is missing. I, I, I know that's not what it is, but, but it was a phone call just to give me the heads up. I'm not kidding you when I say immediately after that, as I'm just trying to eat my lunch on a Sunday, I get another phone call that says, Pastor, I need you to settle a debate between my spouse and I. I said, okay, what's the debate? They said, my spouse says that our dear brother in worship was babbling something crazy. But plain as day, I heard the Spirit of God from within him cry out, Lord, heal this vessel. And so while some of us sit up on our high horse and look down at the actions of the Holy Spirit and pacify our own discomfort that that's weird, let me encourage you to go ask the Apostle Paul how riding that high horse to Damascus worked out for him. Let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of us that aren't getting access to all the, all the manifestations of the Spirit of God because we look at certain things as weird when all the while God is trying to grow us to a point to show his evidence that he's not done, that he's trying to heal you, that he wants to bless you, that he wants to return you to the condition you were supposed to be born into in the garden of Eden but we're so stuck up we're so caught in our ways in our tradition in religiosity that we refuse for the movement of God to look anything else like something that's not just the pastor preaching on Sunday or the worship team singing real pretty before that I'm tired y'all I'm tired because I love you guys. And this is a complicated thing. I get that I just said a whole lot of stuff as if it's just like plain and simple and I know that it's not. I know that, I know that it's not, but what I'm trying to tell you is that we should not look at instances like the way people worship as like, that's that weird stuff that only happens at that church I go to at the Martin Center. We should look at it instead as evidence that God is moving in our body, that God is moving in our congregation, that God wants to continue to renew us, that the job's not finished, and that he's still trying to reach a point of transformation that we haven't allowed ourselves to go to yet. 
You don't get to say that you don't feel God move. You don't get to say that that God isn't isn't still trying or that he feels absence or that he's not still good when you're not open minded to moves of the spirit. So let me ask you. I ain't saying that everybody got to start. Listen, if, if five of y'all come up to me and start babbling after service, I'm going to smack every one of you. I know you're faking it, right? I know you fakers, right? But <laughs> I wasn't the interpreter, so don't come up to me. But I, have to, I, have to, I do have to ask you this. Thinking beyond that, what kind of evidence have you been to your community lately? What evidence have you shown with your life? I know that there's a few of us in this room that wrestle with the idea of Jesus, that are in the midst of questioning whether this is something that we even want to be a part of. But my brother or sister, the only evidence that you're giving to people around you is that life is hard without Jesus. I know there's a lot of us that really wrestle with a lot of ideas that come with faith. And that we've grown cynical. I'm talking about me in a lot of ways. We've grown cynical to some ideas of God. We've grown, we've grown resistant to some, to some uh, expressions of the Spirit of God. But the only evidence we're giving people is that we have a hard heart. And sometimes a bad attitude. I love you though. What I, what I want for us is that our lives give evidence, that we live in a way where our lives give evidence of God's renewal. I want us to be able to live in a way, in a, in a spiritually free way that, ooh, that allows people to see, while Jesus may not have come to me in a dream, I may not have been able to see him physically in the flesh, I think that I know him because I know you. When was the last time you were that evidence in somebody's life? When was the last time the way that you live, the way that you carry yourself, caused somebody to question everything about themselves? To even be mildly open to an idea that they weren't open to before. That's what I want for us. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It makes us evidence. The Apostle Paul says it. He, said, he says, for anyone who want to come at me and say that I haven't experienced genuine transformation, I'm going to point them to you, my disciples, because you are my evidence. Now, there's one more thing before I can let us go that I have to point out about the Holy Spirit and that, and that I believe the arrival of the Holy Spirit is for the world's transformation. Psalm 3 says, When God breathes, the very surface of the earth is renewed. The world is different. In Genesis 3, creation fell. And since then, creation has evolved further and further away from the Garden of Eden. God's Holy Spirit is his breath. It's his his effort to get his people back. What I love so much about the Holy Spirit's arrival 
in our lives is that that means that God looked at a fallen humanity. God looked at each and every one of us in our brokenness. God sees us in our shoddiness and our shadiness, the ones that other people know and the ones that they ain't found out yet. God sees us in our present condition, and even still, God desires to make us new. God desires to include us, and that is made evident and accessible to us through his Holy Spirit, just as Kathy Boone's family searched endlessly for four years to try to find her and offer her life-altering resources. So it is, I hope, that, that you look at our community the same way. I hope you look at our world the same way, because church is way too easy to look at our neighborhoods. It's way too easy to look out our windows, to, to, to roll up our car windows. It's way too easy to, to scroll through whatever media outlet you prefer and look at all of it and say, they don't know. They messed up. Isn't the world such an awful, horrible, evil place? Listen, I got to be real with you. If that's you this morning, that is a fair evaluation of what's going on. Super fair. But it's easy. It's easy. What I wonder is, have you allowed the Holy Spirit room enough in your life to transform the way that you see our broken and fallen world? Away from the evil and sinfulness that, that our world is caught up in and into a people, as God would suggest, that are worth redeeming. When you look at our community, do you see people worth renewing? See, often I think we get caught up in our concern for what the lost and the broken will do with the resources we extend to them. I think we get too caught up in, well, I wouldn't offer Kathy that money because she's a drug addict and so she probably just spent it all on drugs. Well, isn't that none of your business? Isn't that not up to you? That's what's crazy to me. That ain't up to you. And can I remind you that in the gospel of Luke chapter 15, it was in the midst of squandering his own life-altering resources that the gospel of Luke tells us the prodigal son came to himself. He was blowing it all on parties. He was blowing it all on drugs. But thank God that his father still saw fit to give it to him anyway because it's exactly what allowed him to come to himself and realize, huh, this sucks. And what do we see him do but go running back to his father? How about we stop getting so caught up in what the world will do with the resources we have as the church to offer, and we just give away for free what was, by the way, given to us so freely before? I don't believe it's for us to determine what the rest of the world will do with this life-altering resource we call the Holy Spirit, what the rest of the world will do with their interaction with the church or whatever resources we have there from. I believe it's up to us to freely give as we have freely received. So church, as we observe Pentecost, my hope, my prayer, my desire is that we tap in 
to that life-altering resource that is so accessible to us. My prayer is that we tap into the spirit that renews our lives. Because if you can't think of the last time you were, you were God's renewal evidence to somebody else, perhaps that's where we need to go back to, right? Perhaps we have these barriers that we have not, that we have kept up in our lives, these grudges, these hard feelings, this hard heart that we've held onto for so long that we have actually denied God access from working through his spirit in our lives. Can we stop that this morning? Can we give up this morning? Because I, I got to tell you guys, and I know this from experience, ask me about 2020. It takes a lot more energy to hold on to things tightly than it does to let go and let the spirit of God do what it's going to do. You're going to get exhausted. I hope that we can tap into this life altering resource, the spirit of God that makes us evidence makes our lives and the way that we live evidence proof, if you will, that God still wants to move. There's a whole lot of folk out here that don't believe us when we say that Jesus loves you. They don't believe us when we say that God is good. And there's a little bit of hope that they're looking for. And the evidence that God chooses to give them is your life and mine. I hope that this Pentecost Sunday we are able to tap in to that life-altering resource, the Spirit of God that can change the heart of the world. Did you hear what I said? It's the Spirit of God that can change the heart of the world, not the comment section, not your persistent passive aggressiveness. And I say that as we get ready to gather with our families, huh? Listen, it's the Spirit of God that changes the heart of the world, can you imagine what life would be like if we were void of hope, void of resources, and denied ourselves access to what God intended to be life-altering? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that while the work of atonement and justification was done through the person of Jesus, the work of sanctification, you give us the Holy Spirit to work out. God, we thank you that while we feel void of hope and resources at time, you have supplied us with what Scripture calls an advocate, a helper, an assist your presence in our lives to develop our character, to renew our hearts, to change radically the way that we live. God, we thank you for that access this morning. Lord, we want so desperately for the same hope that you offer to us on Pentecost Sunday to be offered to our neighbor, to be offered to our family member, to be offered to our people at our job, at our school, in our community. And God, we pray for your forgiveness for the ways that we've acted as barriers from your spirit going forth. We pray for forgiveness for the ways that our own cynicism and hard hearts have gotten in the way. We pray, for, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that our own fear and the biting of our own tongues has, has uh, gotten in the way. And God, I pray right now that we would 
give these barriers over to you so that what is set free in our life is the transformational power, the same power that took Jesus in a transformed state from dead to alive is the same power that we set free in our own lives to take our circumstances from dead to alive. God, I pray that you would give us the peace and the patience to decide to offer this gift freely to our community. pray not only that we would stay disciplined, but that we would continue to invite others to follow us as we follow your path, because we know that on your path is not a leading into temptation, but is a deliverance, a set freeness from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.